And now, a few minutes with two of my friends, who will soon be yours, the Techie and the Cowboy. All right, here we go. We're continuing our best of year one, our season finale, where we go back and we uh, listen to the different episodes and pick kind of the best clips from those episodes, which is really hard, TW. I mean, these are these are some of the – as we went along, they got better and better, so it's harder yes, to stick. Yes, they did. As a matter of fact, when we went through them, we found out, hey, we weren't as bad as we thought. <laughs> and what's so funny is that, you know, we started off at the very beginning, we were picking like one-minute clips and two-minute clips. And as is, we started getting up in the episodes, it was harder to, to not pick four or five-minute clips so you could really get the context of what we were talking about inside that episode. Yeah, it really shows the show is maturing, and I'm, I'm happy for that. So we got a lot to give to you in these next five episodes. This is episode six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. So we're going to go ahead and crank right into them. We'll start with episode number six. This was Turning the Other Cheek, and we really wanted to, to emphasize that it's not about getting taken advantage of and letting people take advantage of you. It's about really learning how it is to be able to react a different way. So let's go ahead and play that clip. Well, as Christians in in this part of the world, we don't have it as bad as they do in other parts of the world where they're really persecuted. But when people start throwing insults at you because you are Christian, you're supposed to, in their point of view, just sit there and take it because you have to turn the other cheek if you're a true believer, which is pretty much what the scripture was talking about. It was talking about insults, not physical threats. Correct. It's talking about responding versus react, right? Uh, right. You know, it's, it's, it's your duty to be able to respond to what it is that they have to say, but it's not your duty to be able to react in a negative way where it's going to escalate the situation. Right. But there's a, there's a you know, you know a bit about my personality. You have seen me up close. You've seen me in the gym. Uh, I have this kind of rule that I'll have an intellectual conversation with anybody who wants to do that. You want to get in my face into my personal space, I'll ask you politely to back off. You want to continue to be a jerk about it, please know I'm not a pacifist, period. <laughs> and for me, I love to get in good conversations with people, but I, some people aren't looking for a conversation. They're looking for confrontations, right? They're looking for you to be able to, or for them to say something specifically to get you to react. And that I'm not interested in, right? And you could tell really when the conversation starts, if they're willing to have a, a very, very intelligent, high level conversation where you're going back and forth with your different viewpoints and they're listening what you have to say and you're listening what they have to say, or if they're just listening just so they can have something to say or to be able, and they'll still most of the time start hurling insults at what you believe. And that's when you know it's turned into a confrontation versus a conversation. Right. And me personally, I don't have any use for those people because there's, once again, talk about efficiency. It's a waste of breath because they're not, as you say, they're not wanting to have a deliberation. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can continue on with their tirade. Man, there's some people that live for that. They live for that whole conversation because it makes them feel empowered. You know, if they can feel like they won the conversation by the time it is you stop talking, there's a rush that they get from them. There's some dopamine that goes to their brain or whatever else that they get from that. And so you're just feeding the fire of them looking for the next person to be able to do that too. Okay, so the main point of that and what kind of sparked that whole episode is the fact that a lot of people think that when you have to turn the other cheek, that means that you have to take the abuse from other people. And so you got to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already, because we really talk about some solutions on what it is that you can do whenever it is that you feel like you're being attacked as a Christian and how it is that you can respond in still a godlike way. Yes? Yes. <laughs> 
All right, so now we're moving on to episode seven. What is a personal relationship with God? And this was actually a conversation that we were having off mic uh, where TW asked, you know, how is it that you have that personal relationship with God and what is that about? And it was such a great conversation, we decided to turn it into a podcast. So let's jump right in and, and hear what it is that we have to say on that subject. I have been around military organizations. I lived in a military town, San Antonio. So, and then with my father was a little bit more of a formal person, you know, very much a presence, very powerful presence, very um, educated, very smart. So I always viewed God in the way that he was like the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. (laughs) He was like the top of this big army of angels and cherubs and, you know, all, you know, all that stuff. And what I was uh, saying before was when, you know, when I was a little bit younger, I used to be a very avid uh, skier. And I remember one time, and I was very, I know specifically where it was. It was uh, at the top of the hill at Park City, Utah. And I skied up to this one point, and you could look out over the valley uh, that was out before you, and there was snow everywhere, and it was a you know, clear blue sky, and it was, you know, it was in the morning, it was a little cold. And we were at altitude and that kind of thing. And I just looked up and I just felt the majesty of the whole world. And I said, and I said, you know, it was God that created this world. He is there, you know, somewhere in the sky kind of thing. And he is omniscient, all powerful, you know, the head of creation. And he is so big to do all this stuff. And that's how I view him. His son came down as man, which was a really big step. For me thinking about sitting across the table at Starbucks with God the Father, it just doesn't compute. How can you go from all this to some guy sitting across the table with you and say, yeah, you know, I was thinking what you should do is X, Y, Z. <laughs> One of the things that I love asking people, especially people of faith, like I love spirit leaders and faith leaders and people who are in position where it is that they're considered a faith leader is asking them how they view God and how that has shifted over the their lifetime, right? Because you have different viewpoints of God. I've had some people that I meet that have had a, come from a fire and brimstone church background where God is that judgmental guy in the sky who it is that will smite you anytime it is you do something wrong uh, you know maybe it was because it was a, from a control standpoint their parents said god is going to get you and use it very much as a punishment thing you better do this or else god will get you you better do this or else god's going to you better follow the bible or else god's going to you know and use it in that way and so they come from this this standpoint of looking at god as a punishing god and not a rewarding god god will not do anything to you as long as you do well. But if you do something bad, he's going to, to strike you down. And then there's some people that come from, a, uh, you know, God is love, God is hope. Like if you listen to, I was listening, it's funny because I love gospel music and I was listening to a lot of gospel songs, but it's very much a God pulled me out of this situation type of thing. Everything is I'm going through this struggle, Lord help me type of songs. And I get it. They're, they're going after a, maybe a market who it is that needs to be able to hear that. And the songs bring them out of that place. But where's the other side of it? Where's the other side of a loving God, a caring God, a rewarding God, a God who loves you? One of the ways that I was able to, what you said, like I couldn't picture God 
both being up in the sky, being this mighty, majestic person, but then also coming down and loving me one-on-one. And uh, I remember hearing either a preacher or some of my personal development reading that God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. And that's hard for our brains to be able to comprehend because we see it as somebody being here and somebody being there or somebody t- you know, handling you and then handling the next person. But no, he is an omnipresent force that's everywhere at the same time, meaning that he's caring for me at the same time that he's caring for you in the way that only God can. And that kind of helped begin to me to wrap my brain around how he can be as big as he is, but he could also where I could talk to him one-on-one and feel like he's really hearing and answering my prayers. Otherwise, I don't know if you remember that, that Bruce Almighty where it is that he got to be, you know, for a day, it was either God for the day or whatever else. And he's trying to answer all the emails and all the prayers. See, that's a, a linear view of what God is. That's saying that he's a one person trying to do all this stuff instead of an omnipresent view of who God is. And that helped me do the shift. And the other thing is when I started to have a relationship with God myself, whenever I started to treat him like he was a friend, you know, and I heard again, and, and church is, is a good place for me. I treat it like a buffet. I take what I need and I leave what I don't. So I'm never offended or whatever else by whatever I hear. Cause I'm looking for God to speak to me through the pastor that I'm listening to the church that I attend, the spiritual thing that I attend. So I just, I take it at that, you know? And, and I remember hearing that God wants to have a loving relationship with you. He yearns for that relationship with you. That was such a comforting thought perspective for me, I really wrapped my arms around that. And that began to be the basis for me uh, loving and looking for that relationship with God and just growing it as it went along. It was, it's been a process and I'm still in the process of finding that. But the closer I get to him, the, the better I feel about coming to him with whatever it is that I have. Such an awesome episode. Definitely worth going back and, and listening to, especially if it is that you struggle to your viewpoint of God. And maybe what it is that you grew up with or maybe what it is that you uh, believe about God tends to make him a judgmental God. That episode really explores looking at God a different way. The one thing that I walked away with is that just like God made each of us unique, therefore our relationship with him is in fact unique. Absolutely. So episode eight, we talk about device delirium. We talk about how it is that your addiction to your devices can get in the way of your relationship with God. So let's play that clip and let's hear a little bit about that. So there's definitely advantages to technology, but I'm talking more about the use of technology and how it is that it affects your spirit. Because here's what it is that I've found just doing a social experiment with myself, doing a social experiment with family, talking to other people, is that technology has the way to be, of being able to positively or negatively affect your spirit, depending on how it is that you use it. Okay, so my prime example, and this is the one of the places I made big changes in my life and, and immediately noticed the difference. With this addiction to technology that we have and with it being such a part of our social norm, before we go to bed, a lot of people, the last thing that they do is they check their text messages or check social media, and then they scroll, 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 and then they go to sleep. And then it's been, it's been proven that whatever it is that you do right before it is that you go to bed is what your subconscious focuses on the entire time that you're asleep because your brain loves to solve problems. So it's trying to process the information that you've given it. And if the last thing you did was scroll through social media and saw whether good or bad the information on there, your brain is still processing that stuff while it is at your sleep, which could cause a lot less restful sleep or even more anxiety or whatever else. 
Then the first thing that they do is that you get up, you check your text messages, you check your phone to see if anybody called, and you check your social media to see what everybody was doing while it is that you were sleeping or what they've done this morning so far. So again, you're bookending your day with social media before you go to sleep, social media whenever you first wake up, and then if it is that you are trying to do any kind of spiritual development, go to you version, read the Bible, your brain is already gone one direction before you can even get to that. One of my mentors taught me the last thing that you want to be able to do before you go to bed is to be able to give gratitude. And that should be the last thing, whether it's to write in a gratitude journal or whether it's just laying there and think about all the things that you're grateful for. So now you're giving your subconscious mind a different thing to be able to focus on while it is that you're sleeping. Now it's focusing on all the solutions to the problems, or all the things that you're grateful for versus more anxiety and more problems, which helps you to get a restful sleep. And this really made a big difference for me. But then the second part of that is, first thing, when you wake up, when you get out of bed, you give prayers of gratitude and thanks. It could be breath prayers like we've talked about in previous episodes of Taking a Cowboy. So go back and, and definitely listen to one on breath prayers, right, and praying. But you give that and then you immediately do your spiritual development then. So whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's going on version, whatever it is, you do that first because that's when your brain is most open and it's not filled with anything besides gratitude that you start off with and now the word, the spirit, and all of the stuff that's going to go into your brain that's positive. Now, when you get a text message, a social media message, an instant message, you're in a better place to be able to deal with it because you've already fed the spirit first and you'll react a whole lot differently to the stuff that you process. To the point where he said he puts his Bible on his keyboard so he, or he puts his Bible on top of his phone so he knows not to break that habit of going to check his email or check his <laughs> phone first. He has to pick up his Bible and then he's like, well, since I already picked it up, it's about setting healthy triggers so that way he knows what is most important and what happens first. And I tried that and it worked and I got away from it. And I noticed the difference. I just now recently started going back to it. It's amazing how differently you feel both while you're sleeping and you wake up in a different place. And then also during the day, whenever it is that you fed your spirit, the right thing at the very beginning. So that's one of the solutions I would suggest that, that our listeners try is that try that. Try bookending your day. That's what I call it. Bookending your day. At the end of the day, give some form of gratitude. I like the gratitude journal because when you write down all your blessings, and then it's in a journal, and then you're having a bad day, you can go back and look at that book of blessings and realize how much that you're actually thankful for, how blessed you are. And it helps to be able to turn your day around, right? Because you're only allowed to write down positive things in that book. But even if it is that you don't want to go that far, if, if you want to do it, this advantage of trying to do it on your phone and your technology is that you got notifications that pop up and the chances of you seeing a rabbit and following that rabbit down the rabbit hole, right? which is a text message notification, is high. So sometimes writing is better. But at least spend some time giving gratitude and just list out 10 things that you're grateful for before it is that you go to bed, uh, after it is that you do your prayers. And so that's the last thing that your brain focuses on. Man, you were super talkative in that clip, man. I couldn't get you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't get, I didn't get paid for that episode, apparently. I remember at the end you said something like, uh, yeah, this is your wheel box. I'm just going to let you do the device stuff. But that's why we did the bull riding one. Cause. <laughs> yeah, but, what, but one of the things that, that was I walked away from that whole use of technology, when you and I met at the uh, leadership conference and, and John was there, he was the one that taught both of us how to use technology to say the breath prayers and communicate to the people that you're praying over to this day, I do that. And it's every now and then I'll get 
feedback from one of them saying, thank you very much for continuing to pray for me. So that's one of the first things I do every morning is to do the prayers for everybody, because if I get busy, sometimes I forget till way late at night. And similar to what I talked about, you know, make sure you book into your day. You just set up triggers so that way it is that you're using technology to be able to help you versus uh, technology to be able to get in the way of your relationship with God. All right. So the next episode is episode number nine. We talk about failing forward and overcoming self-sabotage. So let's hear what it is that we had to say about that subject. Okay. So again, we're talking about fear of failure. Today, we're talking about, you know, how it is that you could be scared of making decisions, doing things in life, being with the right person, uh, you know, taking risks inside of your career, inside of your business. And a lot of this stems around the fear of failure. But there's the opposite side of fear of failure, which I didn't even know until I started doing research on this subject many, many years back because I was stuck in different places. And I found that I was self-sabotaging myself whenever I got just to the brink of success. And there's a fear of success as well. In other words, especially if it is that you have a business partner, a best friend, or somebody who's doing business with you, there's a fear of success that you might leave them behind or fear of being success and leaving all of what you know behind the cover zone. Because sometimes with success comes change, right? So you have fear of failure, but on the opposite side of that is fear of success, which can keep you doing just enough not to succeed. In other words, you're not doing enough to be able to fail, but you're not doing enough to be able to succeed. And right whenever you get to that success point, you end up sabotaging yourself. Okay, I was going to ask if you would give us some examples of self-sabotage. So let's take it back to like an everyday situation. So you have a promotion that you're up for and you have to go apply for it and you have to interview for it. And it's a big pay raise, but with it comes big responsibility. And with it comes your ability to possibly leave the people that you've been working with for a long time, maybe even become their superiors now. And so they may look at you differently. and You're not part of the clique that you are complaining about management because now you are a part of management. So now you have this fear of success because your fear of moving up because there's a change that's going to be able to happen that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. So what your brain will do is your brain now trying to keep you safe, trying to keep you in that place where it's comfortable, will give you all the reasons on why it is that you're not qualified, why it is that you might not make it, what happens if it is that I apply and now the management looks at me differently because I didn't, what are my friends going to be able to think once it is I apply and I don't make that job, almost to the point where it is that you end up either not applying for the job at all or applying for the job and then sabotaging yourself inside the interviews by saying stuff. You're like, Oh, how, why'd that slip out? Well, again, self-sabotage kicking in because that fear of success and also the fear of change that's going on there too. So you see, it's, it's just really about recognizing the different patterns that happen inside of your life. And then what am I going to do to be able to make sure it is that uh, I neutralize this, this fear? Well, there's also uh, just a, a fact of life kind of thing. I was introduced into it when I was uh, in ROTC. Have you ever uh, seen a cannon being fired? Yes. Uh, in the field? Not in the field, no. <laughs> I, saw, I saw one that they used to fire a cannon right there at our uh, college games. It was a real old school that they had restored cannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they, they weren't trying to knock anything down. No, they weren't trying to knock anything <laughs> down. They were firing blanks. <laughs> okay. Well, think about this. With, with artillery, like in the Army, when they're firing that stuff off, the guys who are pulling the cord to fire that thing, they can't see what they're aiming at. It's on the other side of the hill, the other side of the trees, whatever. But there's a group of people on the other side with these binoculars and have these little gradations in it that are, are, are scouting for them. So the first shot, they try to get real close, but it's too close 
too far to the left. So they give him some corrections. The next shot can be long and to the right. Third shot should be right on there because they've had those two errors and now they yeah. can calibrate. That's called convergence. And so uh, an iterative process. Look at the way that uh, HP or any of the calculators solve for a problem. What they do is they make a best guess in their formula. Then they go the other way until the error is, you know. Margin of error, yeah. What they're doing is error, 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 error. But this error is smaller each time. But they keep on moving forward even though they're making little errors as they go. That's convergence. And so if you adapt something similar to that as your uh, philosophy that anything is possible, uh, look at Edison. He didn't make the light bulb the first time. He said he found a thousand different ways not to make it, but he kept going. And so that's perseverance and success are firmly tied together. So one of my favorite uh, authors slash speakers slash, you know, he's, he's a little bit of everything is John Maxwell. And he actually has a, a theory in a book called Failing Forward. Uh, and that's what it talks about. It talks about not having that fear of success as long as it is that you learn each time it is that you fail then you'll always constantly be growing and moving forward. And the next time you approach the situation differently, because now you have the knowledge of what it is that you did wrong. Kind of like your analogy that you said with the cannon. you know, now each time it is that you do it, you're coming in with the experiences of the time before. So you're a different person and in a different place than you were before. And if you have that mindset that I'm not the same person that did it the first time, I'm not this, I don't have the same knowledge that I did the first time. You start to get excited about failing forward versus being scared of failing forward, you know, but there's, there's a lot of people that are so stuck in their fear, so stuck in what happened last time that they never ever get to that point where it is they realize that there's forward progress and, and failure. There's two parts to that though. Uh, one is <clears throat> the accomplishment of what you set out to get to finally, you know, hitting the target. The other is as you get closer here, closer there, closer here, closer there, it's the journey. So there, yeah. there are people like uh, in, in the book that you mentioned stuff, I'm sure one of the elements was you can embrace each one of those steps that you take. And so that succession taken together of steps is your journey. And there's some enrichment and some encouragement in that. And you can get that by watching other people do the same thing. So by recognizing this fear of failure and recognizing this ability for you to sabotage yourself is a big deal. So definitely go back and listen to that episode if you want some tips on how it is that you can not only recognize self-sabotage, but how it is that you can overcome it. And remember, even if you fall flat on your face, at least you're moving forward. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. So the last clip we have is one of our favorite episodes that we've done so far. We actually, it was our second guest visitor we had on Taking the Cowboy. And it's none other than Jaime Garcia of Bethel Baptist Church in Houston. And his story was so powerful of not only how it is that he came to Christianity, but how it is that he moved into the ministry. We thought that was definitely worth playing in a perfect way to be able to end this segment. So let's talk, let's hear about Jaime and how it is that he came to his Christianity and, uh, you know, his story. Born in Monterrey, Mexico, uh, uh, moved to, to Brownsville, that border town right there in uh, Texas and was raised, uh, there. Uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, our, my father, biological father, uh, four children, uh, had three siblings, and he left us. Um, so my mom was a single mom uh, for a bit and raised us. Uh, she came to know the Lord. So because of that, 
we were always in church somewhere or another, you know, cleaning the property, hanging out, Bible study, vacation Bible school. And so we started to hear the gospel. Uh, later on, my dad came in the picture, uh, which, which was my stepfather. I call him dad now. And he raised us. And he brought us to Houston, Texas. And what a journey has been here in Houston ever since then. At the age of uh, 13, we got here and started attending some small churches. And uh, it was through that uh, just fervent uh, commitment of my mother to take us to church. It's where we got to hear the gospel and uh, at the age of 13 gave my life to Jesus Christ. And then later on, my stepfather came to know Christ, and he's definitely serving faithfully now at the Spanish church where they're at. Wow, what a powerful story. Wow. Yes. And, 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 and here, here's, a real, here's a real story. Uh, my mom was so faithful, did not know the, the language of English, took us to this little church called Northside Baptist Church, just a quarter of a mile from where I'm pastoring at this time. And she was faithful taking us because she knew that the gospel would change the direction of our life. And eternally and she felt that and she lived that because of her commitment pastor louis saw that he, he saw that commitment so he started a spanish mission where my mom could understand the the preaching and the teaching and uh it was through that great work that uh, that happened with the iglesia bautista uh Northside, the mission that it actually within two years that outgrew the anglo church the anglo church that was there and they merged with another Anglo church, Iglesia Bautista Doverside. And to this point right now, Iglesia Bautista Doverside exists where my parents are worshiping. Uh, my mom said, let's go. And I said, I was 15 years old. I said, mom, I'm not going. So what do you mean? I said, I'm staying with the Anglo community. That's the white people. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and she said, well, why would you do that? Give me two reasons. Number one, they start on time. Okay. Because, you know, <laughs> culture, we never start on time. Number two, Number two, they are so organized, and we're so disorganized. And I've got to learn how to do those things right uh, because I want to be able to impact and influence our, our, our community one day. Little did I know that I would have the opportunity to lead a uh, mostly second and third generation Hispanic congregation, English-speaking with our Spanish now mission, uh, that, that serves with us for Spanish church, like an extension. And now I'm able to take those things about, hey, we're going to start on time. And we're going to get organized because it's important because, you know, time is of the essence. The Bible says our life's like a vapor and we've got to get the gospel out. So we've got to get on point and be organized. God has got to order. And it's, it's funny trying to teach that to our culture, but it's a, it's a joy. It's a joy. But that's where I came to know Christ through that wonderful church uh, and also got my call in ministry. Now, you said that he, she knew that it would change the direction of your, your background and of your life. Tell us a little bit about that background before it is that you had gotten up to that point. Absolutely. Well, we were raised in an, in the area where we're at, a very uh, a bad uh, neighborhood, uh, a lot of crime, uh, gangs specifically. Uh, we're very we're just at the top of the game. Uh, the Raiders, the Familia, the Familia was the main gang that had all these little pockets of, of small gangs. My brother was the my my brother my second youngest brother was actually the the ringleader for that for that gang uh the the raiders and he was very well known and i asked my brother uh what is it that that put you towards that direction he said it's because i had all, all i wanted is somebody to come see me play at the baseball game and dad would work and mom was busy taking care of us all no one had the time and because of that uh i just felt alienated and i felt like I, and I saw he started to choose a different kind of direction. Also, the, the, the other thing that led him to that 
uh, that direction is that uh, there was a point where my sister's uh, a boyfriend would come and beat her. And so he would try to intervene. I was already out of the house by that time, but, 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 but he, he couldn't he compete. So he went and got him a gun and he felt that powerful man, just that, that drive to, to be able to control people with that. And, and, and he did. And so at age, age 13, he started getting the gangs. And as of now, he's still in prison. At age 18, uh, he went in for prison for murder. Uh, he's been there over 23 years. Uh, it's a very devastating thing. So I grew around and seen all that. And so my direction of ministry, little that I know would be to minister to those people that he was around. So I would literally uh, go to these parties, these gang parties, and show up and not to preach to them, Simply just tell him, hey, guys, just want to let you know that I love you guys. I don't agree with what you're doing, but I just want you to know that I'm here for you, and I love you. Uh, ended up starting gang ministry, basketball ministry, fed them, played basketball, able to reach a lot of those young people through Christ. But it took my brother going to prison for me to accept my calling. So uh, it was an eye-opening uh, for my life. And we go on in the episode to talk a little bit about the impact that he's making in his community because Jaime's making a huge impact in the Houston community post-hurricane and, uh, and how it is that it started off as just hurricane relief, but it's really turned into a movement uh, that's gone, gotten support worldwide. He throws big conferences that has people from all over that come in to be able to support. And just an amazing guy. You definitely got to go, go back. What was the one thing that you got out of that, that whole uh, interview with him? The conviction that he had, particularly when uh, he varied from his culture, it would have been very easy for him to stick with his family, his mom, and go to the Spanish speaking. But he said, no, my calling is different. I feel called away and I have to learn from these other people. And so he did. And to this day, he he still does that. He is, by, by the way, one of the people that get a text from me every morning uh, of the prayer that uh, I have said for him. And so he, he, he usually responds back in, in Spanish to make as we go back and forth. With that. <laughs> he also loves the way that he does whenever he's out there in the community. It's a non-judgmental. It's a not, I'm coming here to be able to, to convert you to Christianity. Uh, he gets involved in the community and lets God shine through him and who he is. And that's why it is their church has grown so fast and how it is that they have so many people that are attending their church is that he doesn't come from a judgmental, I have to uh, push Christ on you perspective he just allows christ to shine through him so definitely one of those episodes that's worth uh going back and listening to if you haven't listened to it already then you want to go check it out but that is episode 10 of these five episodes that we went through you know and this it's just amazing to see the growth that happened even from the first five Uh, and it's just as we went along we just kept on getting better with our guests and with our episodes and with our topics and with the feedback that you guys have given us so of course we want to hear from you so head on over to our techie and the cowboy facebook page uh interact with us there ask questions talk about what it is that you want us to be able to do episodes on we want to hear from you our listeners uh, as is that we continue to plug for it any final words tw Yes, remember, there will be a part three of the best of, which will be episodes 11 through 15. So that'll be the the next episode. It's so amazing that we've done so many episodes. We have to break it up into three sections. That's pretty cool because, again, just a year ago, we were just, uh, you know, kind of playing this thing by ear. So, so, so blessed. And we feel so honored to be able to have you listen to us. So with that being said, this is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. The Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. The Cowboy. Subscribe, listen, and most importantly, come back and join us for the next episode. So let's kick that country outro music. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time 
for the techie and the cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. Let us know what y'all think.